Well, welcome everybody. My name is Jason. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Madison Church, and we want to just extend a happy 4th of July to all of you. Hopefully you have had a great weekend with your friends and with your family out on a boat, just enjoying uh, this awesome, awesome weekend. Well, for the next few weeks, I want to talk to you about this thing called legacy. Because whether you realize it or not, everybody and everything leaves some sort of legacy. Corporations leave legacies. When you see this logo, you immediately think of Apple and you think of innovation and making technology cool and extremely addictive. And you're probably thinking of the next iPhone that you need to buy right now. Or when you see this logo of Starbucks, you think of one company that revolutionized the way we experience coffee. You think of maybe all the conversations you had at Starbucks and you realize that somehow they've convinced you to pay $5 for a cup of coffee. That's their legacy. Corporations leave legacies. Sports teams leave legacies. When you see this picture, uh, you think of titles and MVPs and the Lombardi Trophy and a legacy of dominance. And when you see this picture, well, you think of a very different type of legacy. Sorry, Bears fans. So corporations leave legacies. Sports teams leave legacies. Nations leave legacies. That's why we're celebrating this week in the legacy of our nation. Churches leave legacies, too. Several years ago, a crazy guy named Stephen and his wife Megan showed up to Madison without knowing anybody. They showed up to the city that is known by those of us in the church world as the deathbed of churches. And now years later, lives are being changed. Families are being restored. The marginalized are being given a voice. It's a legacy. Corporations leave legacies. Churches leave legacies. Nations leave legacies. Sports teams leave legacies. But make no doubt about it. People leave legacies. So the question isn't, will I leave a legacy? The question you and I have to wrestle with is, what type of legacy am I going to leave? Now, God has a lot to say on this subject, not surprisingly. He wants you to leave an unbelievable legacy. But interestingly, the place he starts when he talks about this issue of legacy is with your family. And I think the reason he starts there is that he knows you'll spend more time with your family than anybody else. So that's where your greatest legacy will be left. Now, here's the reality. You are who you are because of your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your siblings and your aunts and your uncles. And your parents were or are who they were or are because of their parents and their siblings and their aunts and their uncles and their cousins. And their parents were who they were because of their parents and their grandparents and their siblings and their aunts and their uncles. Whether it's a good or bad legacy, make no doubt about it, some sort of legacy has been passed down to you from the people in your family who have come before you. Some people that you've only seen in photographs or been told stories of. And here's another reality. You are somebody's future legacy. You are somebody's previous generation. In other words, someday, years from now, people will see a picture of you and somebody will tell them about that crazy Uncle Stephen or that crazy Aunt Janine or that that crazy person they didn't know about, but that you have left a legacy. If you don't believe me, think about the stories of people from generations past in your family that have shaped you. I know it shaped me. If you look at my family tree, it's not a surprise that I'm doing what I'm doing. My grandfather, who I call Papa, was a pastor. My grandmother was a pastor. I have several cousins who were pastors. My dad was even a pastor for a couple of years until he realized he could make a whole lot more money doing something else. But I'll never forget, as my Papa neared the end of his life, I asked him if I could spend a week with him just asking question after question about ministry and what it meant to be a pastor. And so there I met with him each day, and 
I heard story after story of his time as a pastor first in England. He told me of how when he first started out, he had such little money and that they often didn't have money to provide even food at their dinner table. And so he and my Nana, who is my grandmother, would pray and then they would hear a knock on the door and they'd go and open the door and they wouldn't see anybody, but there would be a hot meal. It was during World War II when he first started off in ministry and he would tell me of how they would hold services in his church building while the Nazis dropped bombs around them. And, but he said, they're not going to stop us from worshiping God. He even told me about how at night when the bombs were dropping, my Nana would be crawled underneath the bed and she would say, why don't you come underneath here with me? And he would say, I'm not going to go underneath there with you because if I'm going to die, I'm going to die having a good night's sleep. I love that about him. I remember hearing these stories one after another and I asked him, Papa, what kept you going? How did you still minister to people when it was so easy to quit? I'll never forget what he said. He said, because one day I was trying to figure out what God wanted for my life. And I was reading the Bible and, and as I was reading it, a, a, a shaft of light came through the window and it shone on one of the verses that said, you will bring my light to those who need it most. And he said, ever since then, I know that's what I'm supposed to do. And then he turned to me and I can hear it as if it was yesterday. He said, Jason, things are going to be hard. Life will flip you upside down, but whatever it is, always remember your calling. Always go back to what you know God has wired you to do. Remember your calling. Remember your calling. Remember your calling. And that story in that moment is so real to me that I can feel it right now. And it's gotten me through some of the hardest, and I mean hardest moments of my life, even in the last few years. When I've wanted to give up, my papa's saying, hearing his voice in my head, Jason, remember your calling. And my guess is that you have stories like that in your family from generations past that have kept you going, that are more than a story. They are a way of life. It has been a legacy. And those are great. And we need to celebrate them. But the reality is, is just as we have good legacies in our families, we also have bad legacies. Legacies that have hurt us as they've been passed down from generation to generation to generation. That's why wives will say frustrating things like this. Oh, you know, those Johnson men, they are all the same. Or husbands in a very unwise moment of anger will say this to his wife. You are just like your mother. Don't ever, ever say that. See, each family is a mixture of good and bad legacies. So it's our role to recognize and reject the bad legacies that have been passed down from generation to generation. Now, God takes this very seriously. In fact, it's so seriously that the place you hear about this is in no other place than the Ten Commandments. Look at what he says in the Ten Commandments. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, there's a lot of debate about what God's saying here. He's not saying that you're responsible for the sins of your grandparents or your great-grandparents. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is that those sins that they committed, they're going to impact you. They're the real thing. I actually love the old King James Version of this verse. They actually translates that word visits or punish as visit. Where God says, I'm, gonna, I'm a jealous God punishing the children of the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. The, the King James actually translates it visiting 
the kids and the grandkids, the great grandkids and the great great grandkids. This is actually more in line with what the original Hebrew word actually means. It's the word pekad. And that word pekad actually means to deposit or to visit in the sense of making a call. Pekad, it's going to deposit one generation after another generation, and it's going to call out to future generations. Now, that's a mouthful. So let me explain how this works. Maybe in your family, your great-grandfather, he didn't know how to handle life. And so he thought the only way when life got hard was to drink away his pain. And so he left that as the model for your grandfather. That was his deposit. Your grandfather didn't really like the fact that your great-grandfather drank a lot, but life came hard at him, and he saw this deposit, and he thought to himself, you know what, in our family, the way guys deal with pain is that we drink away the pain. And so he also started to drink, and he had a greater deposit. Your dad hated, he absolutely hated how much your grandfather drank, and he swore that he would never do it like he did. But life got hard. And he saw this deposit. And the only thing he could think to himself was this, that in our family, the way men deal with our problems is that we drink away our pain. And so he followed suit. And he started to do the same as well. And now it's your turn. You've never wanted to be like your dad. You hardly have a relationship with him. You to see him as a drunk. But you lost a job. You don't have your financial security anymore. And there's this deposit that's grown from your great-grandfather to your grandfather to your dad, and it's calling out to you that if you are going to be like the rest of us, the way we deal with pain is that we drink away our pain, and this thing is calling out to you. From one generation after another generation after another generation, it's a deposit that keeps growing and growing and growing. And so the question God is asking, are you going to keep this deposit growing? Are you going to do something about it? So let me ask you, in your family, what are the bad legacies that have been deposited after generation after generation after generation? Now, it may not be alcohol. It may not even be an addiction. It may be something else, something more subtle. And if you don't know what it is... Sometimes you have to look at your strengths as a family. And I find it fascinating that oftentimes where we'll find our greatest weaknesses that have been passed down from our families after oftentimes on the underside of our strengths. See, one of the great legacies of your family might be that you're free-spirited, that you're creative, that you're artists, and that's great, and that's a gift from God. But the dark side could be that you're undisciplined. One of the great legacies of your family is that maybe that you're peacemakers, and that's great. God is a God of peace, but oftentimes the flip side of that could be that your family avoids conflict and doesn't deal with real issues. Or maybe one of the great legacies of your family is that you're driven, that you achieve, but the flip side of that could be that you've left a sin deposit of stubbornness and hard-headedness and image management. So what is it from your family that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation? Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's something more subtle. Maybe it is addiction. Whatever it is, God says it doesn't have to be passed down anymore. You don't have to pick up that legacy anymore. You can actually be the one who stops it for future generations. But how? That sounds nice, but that's hard to do. 
Let me give you a couple steps. First of all, you need to name it. You need to name it. If you don't know what that sin is that has been passed down in your family from generation after generation, ask somebody who knows your, your family. They'll tell you. And after you name it, you need to confess it. Confess it. Listen to what God says in Leviticus. He says this, but if they confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors in their uncircumcised heart and, and make amends for their sins, then I will remember my covenant with their ancestors. And I know that sounds strange, but what God is saying is there's this thing called corporate confession where we can go and say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for this. I know I haven't actually been the one who's taken the bottle. I know that I'm not the one who's been spreading the anger or the gossip or whatever the sin is that has been passed down. But God, I am sorry that my family has this legacy. And so would you forgive us? It's called corporate confession. You name it, you confess it, and then you begin to rewrite it. I love how God continues in the Ten Commandments. As we saw earlier, he said, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents, the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But catch this, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. In other words, God's saying, okay, now that you've gotten rid of the bad stuff, let's write some good stuff. And that stuff is going to carry on farther than all this other bad stuff could in the past. So what type of legacy does God want you to leave? Well, the first legacy is this, a legacy of faith. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, and I love what he says. Listen to these words. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Then later on in the book, he continues. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from those you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is Paul saying? He's saying, Timothy, don't you know your legacy? The legacy that your grandmother, Lois, and your mom, Eunice, left for you? It was a legacy of faith. Because they took this, this book, and from day one, they pointed you to it. They said, Timmy, come over here. Let me, let me show you how God wants you to live. Let me, let me show you who you were made to be. Let me show you the bigger story that you're a part of. Timmy, this these words are from God and, and our words matter a little bit, but these words matter the most. And so Timmy, would you, would you just grab hold of it? And when, when things get off track where this, this book is going to bring you back, when you don't know which way to turn God's words here, they're, he's going to show you. When you're not sure who you are. These, these words will remind you. So Timmy, this is our gift to you. Parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents. Are you doing this with your kids, with your grandkids, with the kids you have influence over? You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You just have to be able to read or press play. Just have them come to this book. Show them the words of life. Give them this legacy of faith. I mean, what better gift could you give than that? When you do, it leaves a legacy for generations. I know this because like Timothy, I had a grandmother. Her name wasn't Lois. Her name was Irene. And from day one, she taught me God's word. 
when I was little, my brother and I would visit her in Oshkosh and she and my grandfather had a tiny duplex. We, we would sleep in the hide-a-bed in the room next to the organ my grandfather used to play. And at night when my grandmother would come and tuck us in bed on that bed that had springs that popped up and stuck you in the back, she would tell us these stories of Bible characters. And she did it in creative ways with pictures and all sorts of things. I don't remember the stories, but I remember they were important. I remember that those were words of life. The last time I saw my grandmother was about 25 years ago. I was a freshman in college. She was no longer telling stories anymore. She was suffering badly from Alzheimer's. And those of you who have had a loved one go through that, it's a terrible, terrible disease that eats away the mind. And it had been a year since she had remembered any of our names, but my grandfather and my dad and my mom and my brother and I all walked into her living space and we went into her bedroom and my dad decided to do something. She didn't know who any of us were, but he said, let me try something. And he started to quote John three sixteen. He just started, for God so loved the world. And without missing a beat, my grandmother, who still had food in her mouth that she had forgotten to chew that night, continued that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And all of us were stunned. But she didn't stop. She continued. She went on to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And she kept going to verse 18 and verse 19 and verse 20. And she kept going and going and going. My grandmother, who didn't even know who we were, knew who God was. And even in her dying moments, when her brain wasn't working properly, was still leaving us a legacy of faith. Now, you may not have that legacy in your family. I know I'm fortunate to have had that. But you can start that. That can be the legacy you begin to leave for future generations. Leave a legacy of faith. But the second legacy, and we often don't talk about this, but I think it's an important legacy that God wants us to leave, is a legacy of fun. A legacy of fun. Psalm 127 says that the family is a reward and a blessing. And Ecclesiastes says there's a season to dance. So are you having these moments of pure joy with the people you love the most? Do you show those people the joy of the Lord that is your strength? My dad did. We had a strange tradition that every time we went to a wedding, in the middle of the wedding, my dad would tap me and my brother on the shoulder and he would say, come on, let's go. And we would sneak out and we would play pranks on the, on the groom. One time we went to a groom's house while the wedding's going on and we filled up all his, his honeymoon car with foam peanuts and flattened the tires so he couldn't get away on his honeymoon. The next time we went on a, uh, to a wedding, we again snuck out during the wedding ceremony. My dad found the suitcase that the groom had packed for the honeymoon and he took out all of his underwear. He said he won't need these anyway. I didn't know what he meant at the time. <laughs> and even on my brother's wedding, his own son's wedding, he snuck into his son's honeymoon suite and filled up my brother's bed with a with a hundred pounds of rice. We had a legacy of fun. Now, are you creating a legacy of fun for your family? Now, you don't have to resort to vandalism and, and illegal activity like my family did, but are you creating an env environment where people are smiling and laughing and showing the beauty of God in that? There is, needs to be a legacy of fun in your family. To leave a legacy of faith, leave a legacy of fun, but also leave a legacy of acceptance. 
of acceptance. See, so often families create a legacy that says, unless you follow this career path or unless you look this way or unless you have this much money, you haven't made it. And when family members fall outside of this, they feel unwanted and unloved by their family, and it causes them to question everything. They live their whole life longing for the acceptance of the people they love the most. And I'm afraid that in too many families, we spend all of our energy trying to change each other instead of celebrating who God made us each to be. But God says that's not how families should operate. Psalm 139 says that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. So if any place... This is the unit that that should be celebrated. You know, when my daughter Ashton was younger, I would tuck her into bed at night and I would say these words, Ashton, if I had to line up all the little girls in the world and could only choose one, who would I choose? And she would say, I don't know, daddy. And I said, I would choose you. Next night I'd come, Ashton, if I had to line up all the little girls in the world, who would I choose? I don't know, daddy, I would choose you. She soon caught on, Ashton, if I... Had to line up all the little girls in the world. Who would I choose? And then she would respond each night, you would choose me. Well, several years went on and I remember she was getting a little bit older and I still would say this to her. And so one night I went into her room and I said, Ashton, if I had to line up all the girls in the world and I could only choose one, who would I choose? And a smile went across her face and she looked up at me and she said, Taylor Swift. And while that would be a nice choice for me, Ashton, I told her, and be a very wealthy choice for me, I'd even choose you over Taylor Swift. Choose you every time. Are we saying that to each other in our families? Are you saying it to your brother? If I had to line up all the other guys in the world as a brother, and I could only choose one, I'd choose you. Are you saying it to your adult son? If I had to line up all the sons in the world, I could only choose one. I would still choose you. If I, are you saying it to your spouse? If I had to line up all the potential spouses in the world and could still only choose one, I would still choose you. This is what the family must leave as a legacy, that we choose each other and we accept each other, no matter what. No matter what. So leave a legacy of fun, leave a legacy of faith, leave a legacy of acceptance, but finally, leave a legacy of forgiveness. Leave a legacy of forgiveness. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. Joseph had, if you don't know the story, had 12 brothers and they sold him into slavery. Obviously, it's not a legacy of acceptance in his family. They almost killed him, sent him off to Egypt, completely ruined his life. And through a wild series of events, Joseph, who they thought was dead, actually rose to power in Egypt and became the second in command, only second to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. Well, a famine hits the land and Joseph's brothers, who had not seen him in nearly 20 years, come to Egypt to find food. And they were sent to Joseph for help, not even knowing it was Joseph. And in that moment, Joseph should have gotten his revenge. In that moment, Joseph should have, he could have, he had every right to kill them. But instead, he forgave them. And as they bowed down before him, he literally wrapped his arms around them and wept. And then he said these words, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And I've often been baffled by that story. Why did Joseph find such a wealth of forgiveness in a moment when all of us would be seeking revenge. What, where did he learn that? Where did he get that from? Well, recently I discovered something I'd never seen before. You see, 30 years before this moment, 
Joseph's dad, Jacob, was in a similar situation with Joseph's uncle, Esau, Jacob's brother. See, Jacob and Esau didn't have a good sibling relationship. Jacob had taken advantage of Esau. He had stolen everything from Esau, just like Joseph had, would later have everything stolen from him. Jacob st- stole Esau's birthright, taken everything that was legitimately his. And Esau at that time wanted to kill Jacob, so Jacob ran away. For years, they didn't see each other. Until one day, Jacob decided to confront his past and, and see his brother Esau. He assumes Esau will kill him and his family and take all of his money and possessions. So in Genesis chapter 33, he goes to meet Esau, who is coming at him literally with an army of 400 men. But look at who is with Jacob as Esau comes to him. Jacob, Genesis 33 says, Jacob put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel, and don't miss this, and Joseph in the rear. Joseph's watching this as a little kid. Little Joey is looking out the car door, seeing his dad go to meet his fate. He's watching and he's, he's expecting to see his dad be killed by his uncle Esau. I wonder if his mom, Rachel, just says, close your eyes, son. This isn't for you. But he takes another peek. And what he sees, he'll never forget. Little Joseph looks out the window. His daddy, Jacob, is literally bowed to the ground. And look at what he says and what Joseph sees. Genesis 33, verse 4, don't miss this. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Fast forward the story 30 years. Joseph is now standing in power and his brothers, just like his dad did that day to his uncle Esau are bowing on the ground before him, waiting for them to be killed. But I just wonder if in the back of Joseph's minds is the story of uncle Esau, the story he saw as a little kid that in our family, when it's so much easier to seek revenge, instead we embrace and we forgive. And so he takes his brothers and just like his uncle Esau did with his dad, he embraces them and forgives them. Are you leaving the legacy of forgiveness in your family? Are you holding on to grudges and bitterness and wanting to get what's yours? See, make no doubt about it. You will leave a legacy one way or another. You're going to leave some sort of legacy. And your legacy won't just impact your kids or your nieces or your uncles or those that you have influence over, they'll impact the generation after generation after generation. You know, you can continue the bad legacies. This is really easy to continue. Or you can write something new. You can write something different. Something that God wants you to write. Because your nieces and your nephews and your brothers and your sisters and your grandkids and your kids, they look to you and they take their cues from you and their kids and their grandkids and their nieces and their nephews will take their cues from them and their kids and their grandkids and their nieces and their nephews will take their cues from them generation after generation after generation. And so the question is, what legacy will you write?